We're in week two of our series, Love and Other Things. And so, uh, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If you have a Bible or you have some type of uh, device, would you mind also sticking your finger in 1 Corinthians 13? Uh, we'll get there later on. Just keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 13, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is the word of the Lord. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever who does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray in these moments I come to you humbly uh, as your servant to speak, Lord. I pray that you would be the one who would communicate your wisdom, your heart for your people. I pray that we would receive it and use these words, Father God, not just as knowledge, Father God, but as uh, a stir to action. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Navigating love can be a complex and nuance. But when you know, you know, right? How many remember that first time when you told your significant other that you loved them? Anybody? Some of y'all need to start raising your hands. Y'all sitting next to your significant other. I remember when, when I told Janie, my amazing wife, when I realized actually that I, I love her. I, I was flying. I had to go to um, uh, Los Angeles. I had some meetings I had to go to. Uh, me and Janie had been dating about six or so weeks. And I remember just like uh, thinking like, oh my goodness, is this, this relationship going to work? You know, there's nothing wrong with it. But at that time, you know, we were, we were you know, still getting to know each other. And uh, I asked Janie to come and pick me up from the airport. Uh, I didn't have anybody else at that time to help me uh, as I flew back into Buffalo, New York. And so my flight actually got delayed. I, was supposed to, I knew I was getting there late. Uh, about 12 or so, and, and I ended up not getting in until about like 1 or 2 in the morning. And so Janie, who's a teacher and wakes up at 6 a.m. in the morning, was already inconveniencing herself. Let's take it a little further. I lived about 30 minutes, 30 or so minutes outside of the city. She lived in the city. So not only would she have to spend the 30 minutes, uh, I mean, uh, delaying to get me because my flight was late, but then she has to drive 30 minutes to drop me off and then another 30 minutes back home. And so I was like, oh my goodness, as I knew the plane was getting late and I was like, oh man, she's going to complain. She's going to grumble. You know, she's going to be like, oh, this guy inconveniencing me. And so I already had my excuse. I'm sorry, you know, the pilot, I don't know what's going on. I'm not flying the plane, you know, kind of thing. And uh, I, I, I get to the car and I open the car. And you know who's staring back at me? This amazing woman, just smiling. She was so happy to see me. 
you know? It, it was like a scene out of a movie. She, her, her prince had finally come to the door, you know what I mean? Uh, and so, like, I, I was like, oh, my goodness. And in that moment, I knew I loved her. Like, I, I started, like, it was bubbling up inside of me. I, I, we hadn't told each other we had loved each other at that point yet. But I knew it. And I was like, I, I got to tell her. Like, it's like every time I think of her, my, my heart skips a beat, right? Like, all I could do is just, uh, when I close my eyes, I see her face. Come on, somebody. Anybody else in here? Like, just, I mean, deep love. So I, I didn't even wait. I was going to tell her in person, but I couldn't even wait. I called her up. I said, I said, Janie, where you at? I need to tell you something. I love you. Listen, I had prepared myself because obviously this woman also loved me. I had prepared myself. She was going to be, I love you too, Elijah. I want to get married someday. You know what this woman said to me? What does love mean to you? I said, excuse me? <laughs> what does love mean to you, because if I'm going to tell you I love you, I need to know what that means. <laughs> what does love mean? If I were to ask 10 people in this room, I, I guarantee you I'll get 10 different answers. Because I think the word love, and that's what she's getting at, ha has become uh, this loaded term that has almost lost its meaning in our culture. Pastor and writer John Mark Homer posts in his book, Loveology, this idea. Love is a junk drawer we dump all sorts of ideas into just because we don't have anywhere else to put them. I love God, you can say one second, and in the next breath, I love fish tacos. See, the problem is the way we use the word is so broad and generic that I'm not sure that we truly understand what it means. Last week, we started off with this foundational idea that God is love. And, and as people, right, which, which are born of God's love, that, that means there are implications on how now we live our lives out in this world. There are implications of how we engage with, with people, and I remember after the sermon, I mean, literally, I got text messages, I got phone calls, I had some side conversations of people saying, Pastor, man, I, I love what you had to say. It was such a big idea, but love is hard. How many know that to be true? Love is, is hard. It, it's hard because it, it's, it, has, it has to deal with the interplay of, 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 of relationships between people, doesn't it? it, it is, it's hard because there are complications when we deal with other people, whether it be romantic relationship, platonic relationships, the, the mending of broken relationships, the birth of new relationship. Love is hard. Here's a question I have. For us, how do we love people? How do we love people who make it hard to love them back? Have you ever been there? 
Have you ever had to deal with people which make it hard to love them back? Where where you're, you're trying to love them, but it seems like they're giving you every reason to make them doubt that God is in your heart. You know what I'm saying? Am I the only one? Okay, that's all right. Last week, we, we talked about the context in 1 John. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, if, you want, if you want to, go back. It's a great sermon. I hear the pastor is really good. Um, this week, uh, I, I want, I want to, to build off of that idea. Because what's happening in this text that we just read, the context of it is that uh, John is writing to a church in Ephesus, remember, that has infighting and people have left the church. And there is, there is a, a, a type of persecution that has come now to this, this church. There is, there is a backbiting now. Now, you might be thinking about this and saying, oh, okay, yeah, they left, but they're just talking about it. No, you got to remember, these people one day are literally uh, living and worshiping together, and the next day, the same people that were sitting at their table are gossiping about them. They're, they're, they're getting them dragged to the Sanhedrin and, and getting them basically excommunicated from the temple. Like, this is a big deal. And and so John has the audacity with that as our backdrop to say these words. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. I think that reshapes the way we even think about that verse, doesn't it? For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Let's unpack that for a second. How do we love people when they make it hard? When love is pressed to the brink, when when love is is pushed to its edges and you want to give up on it. These people which which he, he, they had loved together, that had come to know Jesus Christ now, talk about the same Jesus that their family members were, were, were literally willingly give up their lives for. They were calling them frauds. On top of that, they're discarding the mission that God had given them. This is what's happening in the context here in 1 John. How do we love people? Now, I want you to to hear me now because when we're talking about this kind of love, it means a love that is going to press past these barriers that sometimes that come up. What I don't want you to hear me saying is uh, love means staying in an abusive relationship. All right? That is not what I am saying. I, I am not saying love means allowing people to bring toxicity into your lives, right, and, and cause you to mental physical and emotional anguish. That is not what I am saying. But what I am saying is love is hard because it is more than just emotion. Biblical love. You you, you see, uh, real love means taking on the barriers that easily offend us. Where offense is, love is hard to find. You see, I, I believe that, that offense 
had entered into the church. And so the church now starts to struggle to, to have its witness being uh, met into the world because they were so angry at the people which had left their community. What started happening is they started po uh, pointing friendly fire at each other because where offenses, it starts being toxic and it starts affecting everyone around us. John is challenging them to love even their enemies, a challenge that God brings up. But let's be honest, guys. Love is hard. It's painful. It's not easy when people are struggling. Uh, I want to ask Ryan and uh, Amber to come up real quick. Do you guys mind helping me out? Uh, because they're, they're a fresh new couple, right? They just got engaged. Let's give them a big hand. Because they, they don't know yet. They, they don't know, do they? <laughs> so, so uh, Amber, would you stand actually over here? Ryan, would you stand over there? This, this is what usually happens. What usually happens, right, with, with a, a, a young couple, right, that, that uh, you guys are about to get married. Like, we love each other. You remember that moment. But then, I'm sure, you might be driving. Ryan's like, I know the directions. That's never happened to any couple here, I'm for sure. Amber's like, hey, listen, why don't we just use the GPS? What do you mean let's use the GPS? And so what happens is a little offense pops up. Ryan's pride gets hurt. And so what happens is we Put in little things that now cause us, would you come up a little closer, a little closer, that, that cause us now to bring a barrier between each other, right? Listen, it, this doesn't just have to be romantic relationships. This could be platonic relationships. This could be friendships. This could be family. Whatever it is, what happens is, right, it, it starts off by a little offense happening, and pride is the first thing that now separates this one's beautiful love. And because it's so little, and we, we, we choose not to take care of it for the sake of what? Peace. But something has already been erected. So the next time that she says something, there's an assumption that's made, isn't there? Oh, she, 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 don't, she don't think I know how to drive. She, she, don't, she don't think I, I know how to act around here. Getting tired of her. So then Amber says, you know what? I've been trying to tell this man all he needs to do is take a left at the light and we can get to McDonald's. Right? And so she goes and calls her girlfriend. Hey, let me tell you something. I thought I knew Ryan. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I knew that he loved me. And so what starts happening? Could you guys help me real quick? I want you to put up these fences. What starts happening is we start building these fences. And if you notice, they start getting they, they start not being able to see each other. All they see are the things that offend them. And they start building barriers between them. 
and what God had called them to originally do to love each other well past those hurts and pains, to love in a way that is born of God, all they now see are the signposts that, ha- that, that have led them to division. And so now it's even harder and harder to see. And you want to talk to each other and, every, it, it like, and they can't because they, all they see is this. All she sees is that he's prideful. He makes assumptions. There's gossip. There's jealousy. There's anger. And, and, and before long, we get into this danger zone where we can't even see each other. And then we start making idols out of other relationships. We get on Instagram and we say, well, what if love was like this? And we start comparing and all of a sudden they're lost to us. There's a brokenness there and love is lost and it's somewhere here and you're trying to talk and have this relationship but you can't anymore because every time you come up, all you see is this. And then sometimes they'll move out the way for sure, right? But the first time there is a sign of brokenness, guess what? We, We drag it back into place. The, the first time there is a sign of an argument, we go and say, oh, yeah, I remember you are prideful. You have assumptions. There's gossip and jealousy and anger and resentment and dishonesty. And we just carry our little fences everywhere we go. Would you give these guys a big hand? Thank you so much. I pray blessings over your marriage. This will never happen. <laughs> See, see, the problem, the problem happens when this is all we see of the other person. Love, love is hard to be sacrificial for when this is all we see of the other person. That, that, that every time we have a conversation, we're bringing back this offense that we've erected, that we've created in our lives. And so now God is calling us to love in a way that, that's, that's powerful, that's transcendent. But how can we love when we can't even see the person? And what does the Bible say? It says, how can you love God who you cannot see when you can't even love your neighbor, your brother, or your sister who's in front of you? But we've erected these signposts of hurt and pain throughout the years, and we don't even know what we're arguing about anymore. What started this whole thing? It's just a fence that's built up. Relationships that now are about to end in divorce. Friendships that you look down the line, I haven't talked to that person in 20 years. How do I now engage my brother, my sister, my spouse when there's a barrier between us? thing we have to see is that real love is not self-centered, but it is willing to sacrifice its own desires for the good of others. It is willing to sacrifice its own desires for the good of others 
others. How, how do we know that to be true? How do we know that's the challenge that, that John is, is telling us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20? Well, all we have to do is go to, to, to 1 Corinthians 13. If you have your Bibles, scroll quickly over there. Let me give you a little bit of context. A lot of times that this, this uh, chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 it is made to, uh, we're made to think like, oh, this is the romantic uh, chapter. It's talking about romantic love, right? Like that's, that's what it's about. Actually, when you dig into the context, 1 Corinthians 13 is actually about the spiritual gifts that are underway in the church. And Paul is making an argument in this community that's in increasingly messy, right? They're literally suing each other at one point. They're entertaining sin, like there's a brokenness in their relationship, yet the gifts of God are prevalent, right? People are getting healed, right? There's signs and wonders, there's a prophetic, there's all these amazing things that are happening, and these gifts are given to the church for the edification of the church in a loving community. And all of a sudden, the gifts are being used as weapons of how can I move my status up? How can I be, how can I be considered a better than my neighbor? Because let me use this gift. I can pray in tongues. I can prophesy. I can do all these different things. And Paul writes to this community that is dealing with these interpersonal relationships and says, all that means nothing if you do not have sacrificial love for each other. That is the context of the verse. That, that is the context. He says, he's saying like, when you start erecting these, what would be considered the fruits of the flesh that actually break us down, it doesn't matter what kind of gifts you have. It doesn't matter what type of supernatural flow you have. It doesn't matter who you are on the, the ladder of status. What will happen is that you will succumb to a life lived with barriers and you will not be people of love is with that backdrop, Paul challenges us with a picture of who Jesus is and the way Jesus loves in 1 Corinthians 13. This is what he says. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all, all I have to uh, possesses to uh, all I have to possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It does not, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish childhood behind me. For now. We see only a reflection as in a a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is, is love. You see, real love is sacrificial. God love leads us to break down the barriers that that want to separate us, that we erect in our lives, that become bigger than our reality, that we deal with, and that we can no longer see the person on the other side. What would it look like in this hypothetical story that's not their lives, of of Ryan and Amber, if when they're fighting, right, and they're upset at each other, they say, Ryan says, I'm going to put down my pride. I'm going to lay down my pride. Because you you, you know what? I, I love you because love hopes for the best. Instead of me having to be right, I'm going to apologize because I care more about you than than my pride. And and then what happens? Then then maybe she says, instead of me having assumptions, instead of me thinking evil of my my partner, what I'm going to do is I'm going to think the best of them. That, that, that we're, we're going we're to, maybe it's going to take us a couple hours sitting at the dining room table, but we're going to wrestle with this thing until we get back to that place of love. That I remember the reason why God brought you in my life and why you, why I was brought in your life. Like, like what if, what if instead of, of, of allowing these things to, to erect these fences that, that end up blocking us, we, we fight through them because that's what love calls us to do. It calls us to hang in there, to think the best of, and we start breaking down these things that easily offend and they start becoming these, this larger-than-life thing. What, what it would look like, what would it look like if we, as the children of God, live lives like this, that we're open, that we're engaging? And when those people which are angry that talk about us, that make it hard to love, that push love to the end, When they come up, they don't see resistance. They don't see barriers, but they see us. They see Jesus. How would they respond? How how would they respond? See, love is sacrificial. I I didn't get a chance to share this, uh, but but I can't wait till next week because we're going to have a conversation with a couple people, and we're going to talk about what cruciformity, cruciformity looks like, a love that is cruciform, that is shaped by the cross. 
that, that is sacrificial because that is the type of love that I think God is calling us to. Not, hey, how can I get mine? But, but how can I love people so well that all they can say is that I am sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. You, you're, you're not the type of person that, that wants to fight, but you're actually the type of person that's willing to hear me because most of the times we erect these offenses out of a defense mechanism, don't we? Most of the time, it's, it's not because we really have pride, because we have insecurities. We, we, we assume stuff because there's, there's something deeper going on inside of us. We're jealous because something deeper that's going on inside of us. See, see we are to love in a way that Paul says, that breaks past those barriers, that's willing to have the hard conversation. One pastor and writer, Roger uh, Morlong, says it like this, love is shown in patience and kindness, not jealousy, pride, arrogance, rudeness, insistence, uh, irritability, resentment, or a sense of getting even. In other words, real love is not self, self-centered, but is willing to sacrifice its own desires for the good of others. It is this sense of self-sacrifice for others modeled by Christ's sacrifice for us. As believers, we are not to live for ourselves, but for others. Listen, listen to me. Uh, and I, I want you to hear this. I, I don't want you to hear your, your pastor saying, hey, this is easy. No, it's hard. It, it's so hard that the God of the universe came down and had to uh, show us how to do it. And then he left his spirit to indwell in us to help us to grow in love. Like, like this is hard. I don't want you beating yourself up thinking like, oh my God, now I'm not believing. No, what I am telling you though is to be a believer is to do the hard thing. It's it's to lean in when it hurts. It's to be patient. It's to be kind. It's to be long-suffering. It's to pray for those who want harm for you. That's different. That, that, That is a different sphere. And John says, First John chapter 4, how do you love God who you have not seen if you cannot love your brothers? That's not an easy challenge because it was messy in Ephesus. It was messy in Corinth. But it was a challenge worth taking up because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. How does this work itself out in our marriages, in our friendships, at work with our children? Well, let's go back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. If you have your Bibles, let's go quickly uh, back there. What, what, is, what is John saying? We, we talked about this last week. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Pause. What, what is he saying there? Romans chapter 5, verses 8. That God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were sinners, translations, while we were enemies of God, he did what? He died for us. 
So, so, so what we know is that we cannot rely on our love, that we can rely on a love like that born of God. Because I'm going to tell you something. If, if I'm having to rely on my love, I'm going to build up those fences quick. Right? But if I rely on a love that is transcendent, that is transcendent, that is bigger than anything that I could view, bigger than anything I can imagine, then guess what? I can start learning how to love like this. Part B of the first, of the same verse, whoever lives in love lives in God. Remember, what did we say, that translation? Whoever lives in God, another way of saying it is whoever dwells in God. Another way of saying it is whoever sets up tent in God. So, so, so if I dwell where God is, if I, if I train my mind to think about God, to, to, to live a life that is, embodies the love of God because God is love, guess what? What's going to happen? We talked about this last week. There's going to be fruit that bubbles up from us that will be displayed. And then it's easy for me to tear those things down, to not let them stand, to not let little offenses turn into big fences that I carry with me all across my life. How many of, ha- of us have offenses that even start out this size that are bigger than this room? How many of us have offenses that people have gone on to be to glory and we're still carrying their graves on our backs because we cannot let go? See, see when I love, like when I dwell in the presence of God, what happens is, is I learn how to love like, like God. I learn how to love like God. This is not easy, but it's what we sign up for as believers. It is countercultural. It is different. And there's something that starts to happen in, in us as we live lives like that. We start to change. We start to change. We start to be people who don't erect little fences. Worship team, you can come up. So I want to give you, like I said, this this week. Because remember, what did I say uh, in week one? For those of you who which weren't here, I, I said that what, what typically happens right, in Scripture, is that Scripture doesn't give us every little detail of how to live every little part of our lives. But what it does is it gives us a foundation, right, that, that we can take those ideas, those big ideas, and then we can work them out in our marriages, in our singleness, if you're divorced, if you're widowed or a widower, right? All those other places in our lives, we can then say, okay, how does this flesh itself out in us, right? So I want to give you something that you can practice this week, questions that you can ask yourself and, so that you can try to live a life of Love, number one, is just asking this simple question. In what way am I embodying a life of love? In what way am I embodying a life of life? Meaning this, am I constantly dwelling in the presence of God? We have literally time to do everything else. How many, you don't have to put up your hands, how many of you probably spend at least 10 minutes uh, what I call doom scrolling through Facebook or Instagram. What if you took those 10 minutes and you just said, God, make me a person of love? I didn't say an hour. 
I didn't say 20 minutes, five minutes. God, make me a person of love. You see, there's something that happens when we reorient our mind, right, to, to, be, to be people which dwell in the presence of God. Guess what? Our minds start to think godly thoughts. But it takes intentionality. There's nobody here who doesn't intentionally wake up on time so that you get to work because you know if you don't, your boss will intentionally fire you, <laughs> right? So, so how do we... How do we Intentionally embody a life of love. Number two, in, in what ways, asking this question, in what ways am I showing when situations arise, when there's, there's an argument or there's something that comes up that wants to erect a little fence, in, in what ways am I showing uh, love or a lack of love in this situation? How, how am I doing that right now? Maybe I need to take a beat. Maybe I need to take a second. Maybe I need to take a breather. It's a practice that me and Janie do whenever we get into a frustrating conversation. Instead of us saying words that we know we cannot come back from, we simply say this. I, we say this to each other. I don't want to say anything that can harm you. I need a second. We give each other permission to pause. Right? And, and then we walk away. We, we, we walk away. I, I most times just, just take a, a long walk. I cool off. I come back and I say, hey, I'm, I'm ready to re-engage. Right? Because I, I love her. I will not allow my, my sharp tongue to build a fence that I cannot come back from. In, in what ways am I showing uh, love or a lack of love in the situation. The last thing, number three. In what ways would Jesus love in this situation? In what ways would Jesus love in this situation? I, it's so funny to me that, that what would Jesus do bracelet somehow fell out of popularity. Why? <laughs> I mean, seriously. It, it's just simply that. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus love this person? They're frustrating, they're angry, they're making me upset. What would Jesus do? That's all, that's all we're saying here. Just asking that question, God, what, what would you do in this? Like, I need you. I have to ask that question every time I'm driving when people cut me off. What, what would Jesus do? Lord, help me. Help me, Father, please. We laugh at that. You know how many times, especially in this little area, that I've seen people coming through the door. I'm not going to say who. And I'm like, oh, my God, I am so thankful I asked that question. Could you imagine? Man, I'm coming here, and I'm asking the pastor to, 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 to heal my driving ways. And that's the guy. No, I'm joking. Anyways. <laughs> I think for us, for us to be people of love, be people of love. We have to dwell in the place of the Father. So, so this is what I'm going to ask us to do. Would you stand with me? And, and, I, and I just want us to, to pray. We're going to take a few minutes today and just practice this in prayer. I'm going to ask for every eye to be closed, every head to be bowed.
you might be in this place right now and you've been carrying these little offenses. You've been carrying the pain from yesterday, from a person, from a loved one, whoever it is. I want to challenge you this morning to let it go, to give it to God, to, to live a life that, that breaks down offenses. I, I have a feeling that, that the enemy wants to uh, uh, get hold of the church and leave us in a place where we are powerless by getting to our hearts. Because scripture tells us that the world would know that Jesus is sent by God by the way that we love one another. It is our witness. So, so if, if you're in this place, every head's being bowed, every eye's being closed, I want you to just pray. I want you to just say, God, like, look, I, I may not be there yet, but I just, Lord, will you help me release whatever it is that I'm holding, whatever pain from yesterday, or forgiveness that I need to give. Lord, would you help me in this moment? And maybe you, you, you really want to be bold in this moment. You, you just grab your hands and you stretch them out and then you just, you just turn them, your palms downward as an act of saying, I release it, God. I re release offense. I release pride. I, re I release anger. I, re I release assumptions. I release... All of it, God, I give it to you. I no longer want to live a life like that. I want to live a life marked by your love. Just pray those, just pray that silent to yourself. God, I, re, I release. Father, you see these which are your people. which have which desire to love you well, which may be carrying burdens that, Lord, if, if they told us stories that we wouldn't be able to even fathom. Maybe it's anger from abuse that happened years ago, Lord, that they're still holding on to and still keeps them up at night. God, would you let your love start untangling the wreckage and the mess of whatever's happening in their hearts right now? Maybe it's hurtful words. Maybe it's hurtful actions. God, would you, would you allow your love to pour in them right now, Jesus, as they release what has been holding them back? Let's kept them bound. God, you see your people. You hear their cry. Would you move in their hearts now? In Jesus' name I pray.